Hey folks, welcome to my podcast. So it is Sunday, August 20th, and it's about midnight, and it's been a long-ass week. I'm going to try to get through this quick, but every time I say that, it goes on forever. So here's an overview of my last week. I'm not including work or hobby, but my family. So uh, essentially, my daughter worked in a lab all summer uh, doing virology. Uh, she's getting ready to go. Uh, I mean, she actually went back to college this week on Thursday with my wife. And then today, I... Um, had to go over there and do the daddy things like hang TVs, hang curtain rods. She's got her apartment with her roommate. So uh, it's been a crazy busy week, but today was so freaking cool because a couple of things that happened. First of all, it's a three hour and like 40 minute drive over to her college in Ohio. And um, which I just listened to audio audiobooks like audible, um, you know, from uh, whoever Amazon and, we, me and my daughter had a really interesting lunch because she said, you know, folks, it's hard to describe my daughter because when she was 12 years old, I sat her down, me and my wife, and I said to her, hey, look, there's no rules in this family. I'm not going to put any rules on you. Just don't ever lie to me. Don't ever lie. Just always tell me the truth. And folks, that turned out to be one of the coolest things me and my wife could have done with our daughter because my daughter is just such a hard worker. She is, um, I mean, she's a splitting image of me, which is a scary in some way. Um, but she is so driven. She is just so, just has so much passion in what she does. But she said something to me that I thought was really interesting when we were having lunch before I did the two hour and 40 minute drive back. She said, you know, um, you know, dad, you took a different path than I'm taking. Uh, so folks, basically my daughter is starting her fourth year in college and she's already working out with her professor in the school, how to go into what's called an accelerated doctoral program, which basically in four and a half to five years, she can have her doctorate. Okay. And my daughter kind of shared with me that she's really starting to feel comfortable and see folks, I've always called this being comfortable within your skin. And um, it was interesting because she said, you know, dad, you basically dropped out of high school and became successful. I actually see that she told me she actually sees how she can be successful now. And folks, I thought that was so cool because we took two totally different paths. But when you think about how much she studies, how hard of a worker she is, and I've always told her, it doesn't really matter um, uh, if you fail, if you stumble, it's just how much you keep moving forward, how much you keep moving that ball forward. And, you know, I created this podcast to try to convince college students that are in theater that, hey, this is a kick-ass uh, uh, path to take. And so something, and folks, it was a crazy, crazy last week, all the cool kick-ass things that happened to me. I mean, this last week was really, really kick-ass. So my daughter and I have this incredible deep conversation about success and tenacity and drive and, you know, uh, you know, what makes you an expert, what makes you a genius, you know, which are words most people don't want to use, uh, you know, uh, well, and I think you can become an expert, but I think you're born a genius because of everything I read, me being a nerd. Uh, but, but what I want to share with you is 
So I gave her, you know, I dropped her off at her apartment, gave her a big hug, told her I loved her. And I jumped in the car. I put on a audible about management and managing people and, you know, basically how you shouldn't give a crap if everybody doesn't like you. And the phone rings and it's a rep friend of mine. And folks, this is a rep that for three different manufacturers I worked with was my rep. And we became really, really good friends. And my and I love the fact he called because it makes that three hour and 40 minute, I mean, two hour and 40 minute drive. I'm sorry if I said three hours earlier, I'm wrong. It's two hours and 40 minutes. So um, we start talking and he says, hey, Damon, I've been listening to your podcast. And he goes, I want you to do a podcast about something kind of interesting. And I said, okay, what? He goes, you know, do, do a podcast where you talk about the amount of time that we put into relationships is exactly... Um, the result is our success. How much money we make, how many jobs we win, how many, just how successful we are is how we build those relationships. And, you know, I told him, I said, I just had a crazy you know, conversation with my daughter about, you know, she's feeling comfortable in her skin. Well, that's actually my word. I told her that. And she goes, well, that makes sense. But folks, what's, what's, what I want to try to articulate in this podcast is a project that, that my friend and I did, which I can't talk about, um, because he's one of my, he's a direct competitor for who I work with right now, folks. I'd love to have him on my podcast, but I'd be afraid that people would think there's a big ass conflict of interest. But here's a fact about our industry. Um, I truly believe in my heart, in, unless something goes wrong, I'll probably be where I work at another 10 or 12 or 13 years. Now, if I win the lottery, that will probably change. Um, or unless somebody just turns into destroying my happiness, I think I'm going to be here a long time. So the thing is, is folks, um, in our industry, we're all friends, but you still have to be very cautious that you do have competitors, even though you're best friends. Now, why do we all stay best friends? Well, because we don't know who we're going to work with next year. If this job I'm with right now blew up, and I went to work for another company, you know, I, I would never burn a bridge or have a friend call me up and say, hey, look, you bastard, I'm not going to talk to you because we're competitors. You know, we're all friends. But we, but he, he brought up a project and said, Damon, you really should talk about this because think about all the stuff that came out of that one project. And folks, so a long time ago in a place far away, I wore a hat where I, you know, was over like 36 rep firms and each firm had one or two salespeople that did theater products. And this is how I met this person. And I was working with an automation company, uh, motorized rigging, and he didn't know a whole lot about motorized rigging. He was a lighting guy. So he calls me up and says, Hey Damon, I'm meeting with this uh, university and I would really like it if you could come in town and uh, talk to these people. Just help me out. And me being Damon, I'm like, well, hell yeah, I will. When do you want me out there? So um, I go out there. I sit down and we meet with this uh, theater person. And the theater person, basically, uh, we met like an hour and a half, if I remember right, and then went to lunch. But basically, they had a four-year schedule. And if you don't know much about the construction cycle of the theater industry, folks, I, I want to lay this out for you in the most Fisher-Price way I know. You have six months to a year to design it. You then have to bid it, and then it takes two to three years to build the building, okay? But in that first six months, the people you meet and the relationships you build are people that you 
should and must keep close to you the rest of your life because you don't know when you're ever going to interact with them again. And my buddy says, Damon, you said something in the podcast that made me laugh. You said relationship sales. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, Damon, that's a thing now. There's actually training. They're training people on relationship sales. And I'm like, dude, we've been using that word for 20 or 30 years. He goes, I know, Damon, it's so funny that there's like, you know, seminars and books about relationship sales and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, that's what we've called what we've been doing for 20 or 30 years. And what a relationship sales is, folks, is when you meet an architect, that architect might build 10 or 15 schools over the next 10 years. So you need to be best friends with that architect because you'll be a part of those 10 or 15 schools. You know, there are people out there, and I'm sorry, folks, I'm tired. It's a long week. I'm in a real giddy mood. So I might call people names tonight, and, and I know I shouldn't. But sometimes there are, are dimwit salespeople that think that each sale is its own sale. It's its own importance. And it's not. It has not. That one particular sale doesn't mean crap to your success. It's the relationships you've got with the specifiers and the architects that matter to the next 10 or 15 jobs you're going to do. And folks, this is another thing that um, he brought up that I want to touch base on. There's a lot of books out there that say that, you know, you should make for the company four to five times what they pay you. And I think I've even mentioned this in a past podcast. And that's kind of right and wrong. Like when I worked for a dealer, I was the only salesperson. So I had to generate enough revenue for the president to be paid, the bookkeeper to be paid, uh, installers to be paid. <clears throat> I was the, really the only salesperson there. So in that scope, I had to make like eight or 10 times more than they paid me. Okay. Um, but in larger companies, sometimes, you know, if you are making a hundred grand, they'll say, oh, well, you got to make 300 grand. Okay. So it, it, it's all over the place. People want to look at numbers so much, and I love numbers. I love data. But the data I love is how many times have we done a job with that architect? How many jobs, times have we done a job with that um, electrical contractor? How many times have we done a job with that general contractor? So while I'm driving home, and me and my friend talked for about an hour and a half, we were talking about this particular college we did. And so we go and meet the college. And they're like, okay, this is great. Um, we want to use your uh, motorization. We want you to come back and meet with our architect. So the first thing I say when I meet the architect is, do you have a theater consultant on the job? They said, no, we don't. And folks, I'm going to say something that might hurt people's feelings, but this particular architect said they're emotional and expensive. And look, I said flat out, not all of them. I know some that are really, really good. And there might be some out there that might not know how to behave. But for the most part, successful theaters come from having a theater consultant. And the architect was um, had their heart set. We're not going to have a theater consultant on this job. And I said, well, you know, do you have much of the building designed? Well, they rolled out their big E-size drawings and 99% of this building was already designed. To me, it looked like a cookie cutter they had stole from another university, but I could be wrong, okay? Or it was where a consultant had designed a job for them five years earlier and they used the same drawings, but like just flipped it. I don't know. It was really well laid out theater. The wings were huge. The fly space was right. Somebody with theater knowledge designed this building, I'm telling you. So um, 
Now, of course, I don't want to blow up my relationship with the architect saying, well, you've got to have a consultant or, you know, I'm not going to sell you hoist. Um, I would never do that. So now I'm friends with the theater person at this university. I'm friends with this architect. He brings in a structural guy. I become friends with them. So over the course of a year, me and my rep friend became very close to this team, very close to this team. And when it got to the time of bidding, we had actually a pre-bid meeting, general contractor, everybody involved. And folks, the general contractor, I'll never forget this as long as I lived. And my, I could tell my rep was pissing himself with excitement. General contractor looked across to me and, and said, uh, uh, Damon, how many theaters have you built? I said, well, I haven't really built any. I said, I, I've been a dealer and I've been an integrator and you know I've been on a lot of projects. But I said, from the concrete being poured to the rigging being hung, I haven't been a part of all of that. He said, fair enough. And he said, why are we bidding this? And folks, when you hear that in a meeting, you can't help to get excited. Because folks, when you're working with like certain institutions out there, certain high schools can actually do paperwork so they don't have to bid equipment, okay? But universities are private. They can do whatever the F they want with their money. I mean, they, <laughs> and I said, well, in, in, in a perfect world, you wouldn't bid it because you're going to have to do a scope review. You're going to have to go through every line item, whoever gives you the bid to make sure it's exactly what the school is asking for. And there's just a lot of people out there that miss things. And then they come back and ask for change orders. And he says, okay, if I work with you guys, um, will you guarantee me there won't be one change order? And, oh, and I forgot, there's also a dealer in this meeting. We brought, the, my rep had his favorite dealer. So we had the dealer in this meeting too. And the dealer just looks at me. And I said, well, your contract, you're going to give your contract to this dealer and the dealer's going to do your install. Um, but I can guarantee you, and I'll say it in this meeting, unless you or the architect change something in this building, there will be no need for any of us to do a change order. However, pricing might change. I mean, if, if you want to lock in a price, let's say you guys just say, okay, we're going to work with you and you're going to write my dealer a check and we can maybe store equipment on site and guarantee there's not going to be a change in material cost and all these things, um, then we will uh, absolutely, there, there will not be a change order. And the bookkeeper guy at the university said, um, well, I don't want to bid this because he goes, I think it'll just be a nightmare. We know what we want, right? And the theater person who loves me, my rep and the dealer now is like, yep, we know what we want. Folks, this was so kick-ass. But it happened again like five years later. This university built a black box theater. And we did the whole thing, same thing again with the exact same team. Okay. Um, now, I will go to my grave. I'm not going to share the name of any of this because it's just top secret crap, folks. Not really. I'm just playing. But, folks... Um, Selling in this industry, I mean, my friend, when I was driving back from Ohio, he's like, you know, Damon, you keep talking about margin in your, your podcast. And he said, people don't talk about margin nowadays. He goes, the lighting that we, my dealers bid sometimes are bidding at like 8%. And I go, he goes, I don't know how they're keeping their doors open. 
And I said, dude, they've got their secret sauce somewhere else. You know that. They're either doing drapery or track. They're making their money somewhere else, or they're going to be gone in the next two or three years. But the reason I want to share this podcast to you folks is if you're a 21-year-old kid, and, and when I say that, I think of my daughter. My daughter's looking at her fourth year at this college and then four and a half to five more years to get her doctorate. That, that's her vision. And folks, I love this word and it's not used enough. That's what she believes in. Okay, there are certain things in life that turn me on about people. When I used to interview people, they go, well, I believe I can do this. I believe I can do that. I know I can do this. I love that. Oh, my God. But when people said, well, I spent six years at this college and four years at that college and three years at this college, I'm like, no, no. What did you really do in life that made anybody else more money than your mom and dad having to pay for your college? You know, what did you do to generate revenue? And and folks, I am fired up tonight, okay? I'm, I'm so exhausted. Um but talking to my friend just put a complete, well, having lunch with my daughter and then talking to my friend put so much energy in me. It just revved me up. And, and, and folks, I guess what I'm, the seed I'm trying to plant. And I told my daughter this, um, I'm all over the place. Um, I told my daughter, I, I see my daughter has always, always been just like me, paranoid everything's going to go wrong. And folks, it's, it's driven me nuts. I remember when my daughter was filling out applications to go to colleges. She was like, Dad, what if they don't take me? Dad, what if they don't, what, what if I don't get into a good college? Dad, what if, what if, what if? And folks, that's been me. That's been me, my life. And I just wish my genetics wouldn't have gave her that, okay? Or whatever the hell. Maybe it's my behavior. <clears throat> but every time she said, what if, it turned out good. She got the exact college she wanted, okay? And she's kicking ass there. But one of the things that I told my daughter that you need to think about, and folks, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully you'll understand the parallel of this in theater. So my daughter uh, played the clarinet, did very good. Um, but... Folks, it was crazy. A year before, two years before she got the clarinet, she wanted a motorcycle. And and my wife was against it. And I told my daughter, I'm not going to buy some cheap motorcycle. I'm going to buy a Yamaha. It's going to cost probably $1,500. You got to get your grades up. You got to have straight A's. And she goes, okay. I mean, that's all she said. No arguing. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. No debating. She said, okay. <clears throat> Six weeks later, she comes home with straight A's. So I bought her a motorcycle. Then she's like, dad, I want to play the clarinet. She goes, my grades are great. I want to play the clarinet. So she ends up being first chair on the clarinet. Then she wants to join debate. She kicks ass the debate. Then she wanted to do this constitution thing where they actually have real lawyers and judges and they debate the constitutional law of like the 1800s and 1900s. They go back in history when certain things were challenged. My daughter kicked ass on that. Everything she did, she kicked ass on. So I said to her, why do you think you're not going to keep kicking ass? And my daughter really starts to realize she's going to do kick ass when she gets older. She's really starting to believe that word, believe that she's going to kick ass. She believes in herself. Okay. So if you're a college kid thinking about going out into the rest of your life into the theater, 
and you have four years of high school theater and four years of college theater, that's eight years. You kick ass. You already kick ass at theater. So you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe that you can be whatever you want. And I want to give you a, a suggestion. When you interview with people, sure, talk briefly about your college, but talk about the other things that you did that you believed you could do, that you knew you could do, you were sure you could do. That's going to turn on people more <clears throat> than the colleges you went to. At least it should. And pardon me, folks, I got to take a drink of water, which I know is probably uncool doing a podcast. I don't give a crap tonight. Um, but folks, you know, talk, now keep in mind, my friend I talked to for an hour and a half driving back, <clears throat> he has done this, well, he's been a rep for over 30 years, okay? And he's kick-ass rep, one of the best reps I know. And I wore all the different hats in this industry, but here we both are within a couple of years of the same age, and neither one of us are looking forward to retirement. Why, why would we want to retire when we love what we do? Okay. I mean, I hope I'm at the same company 15 years from now and they got, they got me in a wheelchair pushing me in one of their delivery trucks and they're going to dump me in some cornfield somewhere. But um, you just don't know what tomorrow is going to be. We just don't know what tomorrow is going to be. So you need to make every friendship, every relationship that you can find out there. Okay. And it, it's, it's really, it's really important that you realize that when you're building these relationships with architects, consultants, um, dealers, all these different people that you most likely are going to work with them many other times in your life, many other times. And it, it's not selling at that point. You're, 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 you're just simply not selling. You are supporting people that have a need and the sales just kind of come with it, folks. I mean, it just, I'm not sure how to explain it any other way than, um, just how important it is that you realize, um, every person you meet could potentially become somebody that you do another job with or potentially somebody that buys something with you. So one thing that my friend and I were talking about was some really good books that you can either buy or get on Audible that we say that we agreed are so relevant to relationship sales today. And I can't believe that's a word now being used. Okay. But if you don't know what, who moved my cheese, who Moved My Cheese? I think it was written by uh, two people. I can't remember their name. Um, I think one of them Spencer something. But find Who Moved My Cheese. Um, the Audible book, I think, is like an hour, no, two hours long. And it's a real easy listen, okay? There's actually <laughs> um, a couple other books that you, you... I mean, of course, The Little Red Book of Selling by Jeffrey Gitmer. Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I'm trying to remember some of these books, folks, that I've uh, read that I think are absolutely kick-ass. Um, uh, uh, Surrounded by Idiots is a really good book. Um, it teaches you how to interact with people even though they're not idiots and you perceive they're idiots. Just read the book. 
But it's just really important, folks, that you understand that you need to hone your skills in how you listen, how you communicate, how you build these relationships. If you're an asshole, you're not going to be successful in this industry. Now, don't get that confused. Me and my buddy joked about this. We joked about how many people think we're a-holes. Normally, it's the people that we've beaten or people that are intimidated or threatened by us. And I've always joked that as long as 70% of the people out there like me, then I'm doing okay. Now, it was only 50%. I might go to my wife and say, hey, look, do I need to adjust the way I'm behaving or something? Because my wife's a really good. Uh, she used to be a big wig with a really big bank, and she has so much more emotional intelligence than me. So sometimes I use her as my filter and say, hey, look, you know, how do you think I could handle this better? And most of the time, she just tells me, don't get emotional. Don't, don't let your emotions take, 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 take you over. But folks, this was not meant to be a long podcast. I'm going to shut it down now. I just want everybody to understand that if you really, really want to kick ass in the theater industry, it's all the relationships you're going to build. It's all the people you're going to know. If you get into selling, um, Sure, read Jeffrey Gitmer's Little Red Book on Sales. But if you read it, it's basically all about relationships. Okay, folks, the old days of upselling, the old days of asking for the order, the old days of um, bait and switch, the old days, all that crap is gone. Uh, well, it's never existed in the theater industry. That's something that was really funny because my... <laughs> I got to be careful I say this. My buddy happens to know somebody, and I'm not saying he's related to this person, that sold a lot of Amway in their past. And Amway, I think that's what it was called. Amway had, um, not Amway. Maybe it was Amway. Crap, I can't remember what we we're talking about. Whatever it was, um, it was sold through pressure, through convincing people you need this, so you should buy this. That's not the way it works in the theater industry, folks. Okay, if you're not committed to building two years worth of relationships to get high margin orders, then you're in the wrong industry. If you want quick sales, go work for the new uh, electronic store that's going to pay you. Oh, I got to be careful. I don't want to. I don't want to judge people. So look, people, I'm going to shut this down. It's a short podcast. Rock on. Hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. Um, but I tell you, what a fantastic week I just had, folks. It was just so incredibly cool. And uh, work is awesome. Hobby is awesome. Uh, daughter is awesome. Fan everybody, everything's awesome, okay? So rock on, everybody. Hey, support the arts. Turn off the cable TV. Do not watch the news. Go to the theater, okay? Rock on, everybody. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye.